the blast from our past network. Hey everyone, co-host Corey here. I just wanted to take a quick second and say thank you to all of our Patreon supporters. Without you, podcasting after dark would not be possible. If you would like to help the show grow, please consider signing up at patreon.com slash podcasting after dark. You can also support the show by purchasing one of our awesome t-shirt designs on our merch store at podcastingafterdark.com or by picking up a copy of Seven Winters Alone by David Irons on paperback, hardback, or Kindle. Just search for Seven Winters Alone on Amazon or click on the link in the show notes. A free way to help out is to leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Those reviews are huge for us and really helps get the show in front of new listeners. Again, thank you all so much for the love and support you've given us over these past few years. It really means the world to us. Podcasting After Dark presents TV Obscura, a deep dive into underrated and unknown television shows from our youth. Cartoons, sitcoms, cop shows, and much more. Sit back and enjoy some nostalgic fun with TV Obscura. He'll fight for freedom wherever there's trouble. G.I. Joe is there. G.I. Joe, real American hero. G.I. Joe is there. (laughs) Cobra! Cobra! G.I. Joe is the code name for America's daring, highly trained special missions force. Its purpose to defend human freedom against COBRA, a ruthless terrorist organization determined to rule the world. (laughs) I just want to point out that, uh, once again, shipwreck rules. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. Overrated. (laughs) (laughs) Guys and gals, if it's not apparent right now, we are talking about G.I. Joe this week. And yes, G.I. Joe's not obscure Yes, we have covered G.I. Joe before with G.I. Joe the movie, Um, but listen back to that. You'll know that all three of us were huge fans of this cartoon growing up. Um, I don't know if you could survive the 80s without being inundated with G.I. Joe and Transformers, Um, but we're all all fans of G.I. Joe here, and when they announced this comic book, this Saturday morning cartoons, um, I guess it's like an imprint of IDW, Um, they are going to be doing five issues for each like series, so now that G.I. Joe is done, they're doing a, a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle one. But when they announced that they were doing this and they were going to put it out in in trade form, and this comic book is a continuation of the Saturday morning cartoons that we loved as kids, we knew that we were going to review this as a proper episode on the show. But if you're just, you know, jumping in now, let's give a little bit of backstory uh, with our love uh, for G.I. Joe. I'll just go real quick. I was born in 1978. I grew up with G.I. Joe, Transformers, He-Man, Star Wars. It, I love it all, 
And uh, yes, of course, I love Spiral Zone and Centurions and, and Visionaries, but I also freaking love G.I. Joe. So I come at this comic book with nothing but love for the franchise. Uh, Diallo, what is your quick backstory on G.I. Joe, your history with the franchise? Uh, you know, I was born in the early 70s, so I was around 10, 11, 12 when, uh, they, when they first like kind of hit. Um, and you know, it was instant love. I remember the very first commercials for the comic book and then for the toys after watching, I remember watching the, uh, mass device miniseries and how that expanded to the TV show and watch it all the way through high school. And, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it was like probably my number one, um, you know, star Wars and GI Joe are my number ones and number twos, like when I was a kid. So it's everything. It was everything. Yojo, baby. What, uh, Zach, what about you, my man? Well, you guys know I love all things cartoons from the 80s as well, being a child of the 80s. And, you know, as much as I love Masters of the Universe, uh, there's only one cartoon that I have seen every single variation of and watched them repeatedly, and that's G.I. Joe. I watched the original Sunbow series. I can't tell you how many times I've watched it over and over and over again and I've watched all the incarnations since then and uh, you guys know I cosplayed a couple of years ago as the G.I. Joe uh, members of G.I. Joe and it was probably one of my favorite hol- Halloweens of all the times um, yeah it's Joe G.I. Joe's in my blood I consider it to be the greatest 80s cartoon of all time I think a lot of people are are on the same page as you with that one. Um, I want to go through really quick just the creative team here and a little bit of a backstory on the comic, and then we are just going to go into full-on, you know, free-form discussions, spoiler discussions and everything. Uh, Before we jump into that, I just got to say, I I recommend this comic book. I think it's awesome. Um, And if you have any interest of of reading it and not being spoiled, I suggest just pausing this now and actually going and picking it up. You know, it's like 15 bucks or something on Amazon. It's no big deal. Um, Guys, both of you all uh, recommend this comic book. Uh, Just a, a yes or a no real quick. Diallo? Two snake thumbs up. That's right, Zach. Wholeheartedly, yes, yes, and yes. Perfect, perfect. All right, so this comic book was put out. Uh, it's a, it was five issues. It's so it's called Saturday Morning Adventures, GI Joe, a Real American Hero. So the next one is going to be called, I think, Saturday Morning Adventures, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and then I think they're going to keep moving forward with whatever sort of licenses they probably already own. The creative team. Written by Eric Burnham, art by Dan Shoning, colors by Luis Antonio Delgado, letters by Neil Uitake. So I just want to really quick say that where I know Eric Burnham, Dan Shoning, and uh, Luis Antonio Delgado from, they are the creative team behind IDW's ongoing Ghostbusters cartoon. I'm sorry, sorry, comic book. Uh, It's... I've been reading it for years. I have multiple of the omnibuses, but the great thing about it is, is that it picked up after the, um, the video game. So it actually considered the video game that came out about 10 years ago to be canonically Ghostbusters three. And then the, the comic book went past that. The artist Dapper Dan Shoning, uh, he is known for cramming so much, so much reference material into each individual frame of the comic and everything. 
everything. There was so much in the Ghostbusters comic book. And uh, I noticed a lot of stuff in this as well, like in the background and things like that. Now, one thing that was really impressive to me, um, the latter end of the Ghostbusters run, they had a crossover event called Ghostbusters Get Real, where the comic book versions of the characters met up with the real Ghostbusters. And that was, I don't know if that was Dan Shoning flexing his muscles or whatnot, but he superbly accurately rendered the the real Ghostbusters to look exactly like the cel-shaded animation and everything. And you can see that here in his quality. The the comic book, the art looks like the the cartoon on paper. Like I we we all 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 three of us grew up reading G.I. Joe comic books as kids and they never looked exactly like the uh the cartoon did, you know. Diallo, how how rare is this to see something like this in the comic book world? Um, it's like one hundred percent rare. Like, <laughs> yeah, growing up, you I would always avoid licensed books because they never like they just never really looked good, or they they didn't look like the original property, whether it was live action or from cartoon. And yeah. so the fact that this looked Exactly. I mean, I actually was like, were these cells that they use from like, I, yeah, I wasn't really like, I wasn't quite paying attention to like the creative team. I just kind of opened, started reading. Yeah. Yeah. And it was like, wow, this is actually, this is literally like the cartoon. I'm, like, I'm sure that you thinking it might be uh, cells is probably would be a, a massive compliment to yeah. uh, Dan Shoning. Yeah. Um, but uh, so I just, again, I just want to give a little quick uh, synopsis on this and give the little the, just the story. It's not overly complicated. And then we can jump right in. Uh, I'm just going to read from the back of the book real quick. G.I. Joe is the codename for America's daring, highly trained special mission force. Its purpose, to defend human freedom against COBRA, the ruthless organization determined to take over the world. Notice they dropped terrorist. Uh, Well, you know the story. But now, COBRA may have found their most versatile weapon yet. Can G.I. Joe even stop the Aladdin Initiative? Find out in this special Saturday morning send-up based on the classic 1980s cartoon and brought to you by the superstar creative team of Eric Burnham, Dan Schoening, and Luis Antonio Delgado. So this plays out like a like a Weather Dominator miniseries. It's five issues, therefore it'd be five episodes. The, the gist of it is Cobra acquires the Aladdin's lamp, <laughs> uh, gets three wishes. He wishes for... Five giant bats, uh, meaning the the bats, the the soldiers that they create. Um, then he wishes to reinforce them, and then he wishes uh, for for basically uh, all the Jejos to become Cobra. But that the the genie sort of mixes it around, and we, the the episode, or I'm sorry, the uh, the series ends with a giant battle between basically every single G.I. Joe and every single Cobra on the island, and then shipwreck. Everyone's favorite Joe saves the day to the point where at the end he's the only one that remembers the entire uh, ordeal and uh bada bing bada boom that's that's pretty much the story zach what did you think of of this story overall did it feel like a gi joe story to you well i can i can wholeheartedly say it does because i read it to bodie earlier today in character doing all the voices of all the characters to the best of my ability. I'm no, I am, I, I, I 
I say I'm a poor man's, a very poor man's, uh, like a homeless man's <laughs> version of uh, G.I. Joe characters on the street. But I, I read it to him in character and he was like riveted, you know, and this is an eight year old kid that's currently obsessed with Minecraft and Pokemon. So he, for him to be like right back into the G.I. Joe universe by just like totally absorbing all the, the storylines that that proves to me how good it is. Um, it is, it is like the most, I, I, I echo what Diallo was saying. I've never seen anything like this. I think it's actually perfect for a TV obscura because, uh, I don't think people know a whole, I don't think that many people know about this mini series. Yeah. Um, I didn't see it like advertised anywhere. The only reason I know about it is because of you, Corey. So, um, I thought it was fantastic. Uh, I, I, you know, it's debatable as to whether Shipwreck is the most popular Joe in the series. It's interesting, <laughs> though, that he was the one to kind of have the uh, the final words. Technically, he didn't, if you know what I'm saying, uh, at the end. But, um, you know, he got it in the G.I. Joe universe. Shipwreck had one of the creepiest episodes of all time, one of the most popular episodes. That episode traumatized me as a kid. The one, uh, what was that one called where they had to, he got captured and then people were melting? There's no place like Springfield. That's right. That's the part one and two. It's, it was the, um, I'm actually looking at all, I have the original Rhino, uh, uh, G.I. Joe DVD sets that came out. Um, and it is like the it's from season one, uh, the end of it's the, the finale of season one, basically season wow. one, part two. No shit. Yeah. So for him to I think Neil Ross was the name, uh, the voice actor yeah. for Shipwreck. Mm-hmm. Um, so but he's it, like it's such an iconic voice. And I mean, I love this series. I don't want to uh, obviously we'll go all over, you know, we'll shift it between the three of us. But. Just every character is so faithful. Uh, again, I agree with what Diallo said. It looks like it was lifted off of the cartoon. Um, I've never seen anything like this, and I'm so glad they did it. I wish after I was done, I got sad because I'm like, that's it. There's not. There's not going. They're not going to do anymore. <laughs> yeah. Because it's a great story. It's yeah. a great story. It's yeah. a really great story. Yeah, uh, Diallo. What did you think of of this particular story? How does it How does it hold up to the other ones? The you know the mass device, the weather dominator, Serpentor, the movie. You know all, all of them. Where does this stand for you? Um. So you know, I I feel like the for me the mass device was like peak, well done story in terms of just like action and adventure and moving forward and the other series kind of decreased in quality still loved them watched the weather dominator a billion times but the mass device is sort of like my standard right and so um i actually felt like this this felt more in spirit with uh between that and the weather dominator um it was funny because i actually like i had i didn't i didn't even know about this um, cause you, unless you were talking about it. Right. So when I picked it up to start reading, I actually didn't know what I was actually in for. And as I was going through, I realized, oh, this is like in five parts. This is like, this is giving me that feeling I had that very first time I watched it on Monday and then it came on the next day and I was looking forward to the next day. And I had that feeling as I was reading this. So I was like, oh, today's Monday and this one's Tuesday and, you know, going to the next parts. Um, the part with the genie 
actually made it feel more authentic gi joe because it because <laughs> like it doesn't like if i were to write it i wouldn't have written that i just wouldn't have thought to write it right but like it was perfect gi joe went off into those realms every once in a while and it just feels valid you know and i i loved i loved that and it was like fun to watch how it played out yeah yeah i i feel the same way as you guys do i feel like this would fit perfectly um with all the other gi joe miniseries and everything um as a kid i probably would not have liked the genie aspect of it because i always like things to be more serious more you know just warlike or whatever but as i become an adult i'm like no i'm enjoy i enjoy the whimsy i enjoy the fact that it's 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 out there man it's like why would why would cover commander wish for giant bats and everything you know it's like and then just five of them and i like the little banter he has with destro he's like whose idea was it to make a like a unit like five basically and then (laughs) destro it's like this is probably the same person that haggled the price with me basically you cobra commander you know um but so in in going to to that zach you already touched on it diallo how do you think that that the writing team uh captured the the voice even though in your head you know like the 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 talking style of the characters and everything like that do you think they they captured the feel of it yeah i think more so for cobra than gi joe um, and that's not a knock on the writers. I just think that the Cobra characters are a lot more dynamic and have a lot more um, personality, I think. Um, and so, you know, definitely with Cobra Commander, the uh, the asides that Destro and Baroness make feel um, season two or three when they weren't as in the uh, forefront. And you had, um, you know, had other characters that had a little bit more screen time. Um, but yeah, uh, the, uh, uh, Tomax and Zaymot, when they had their little exchange a little bit later, felt cool. Um, obviously Shipwreck, um, he, like, he came across great. It helped that I had, I mean, I literally had all of their voices in my head while I was reading, and that was actually a really fun part of reading this. Um, but yeah, I think they did a great job. Um, um, and they, what what about Swift? What about, uh, Quick Kick? Quick Kick, it's actually funny because Quick Kick, and again, this isn't a knock. He didn't feel like the Quick Kick I know, but I don't know if my memory is right because I always think of him as making movie references and like doing voices. And so that you can't really capture that on the page. Yeah, and so my takeaway, and so actually I'm, I'm going to defer to Zach on this one, but my takeaway when I was reading it, and I, I think it was kind of like you, I was like, I don't know if this feels like quick kick, quick kick to me, or if I just not I don't remember quick kick sort of like what his gimmick was mm-hmm. you know that he was quoting movies i don't know if i ever really paid attention to him probably to what you said diallo the the cobra characters were always a bit more dynamic and interesting to me uh not gonna lie to you my least favorite uh gi joe of all time is shipwreck um i, I just never <laughs> loved him all but... right we're this is ending we're that's a wrap <laughs> but we're shutting I this mean, down that being said, like, even if he was never my favorite, I still get nostalgic, you know, pangs in my heart when I see him here. I'm like, oh, shipwreck, you know. But quick kick, Zach, how did uh, did they capture him right? Was that how he was in the cartoon? Well, yeah, you're both right. I mean, like, 
he he would do like his uh he did a whole lot of bogart frankly you know? betsy i don't give a darn yeah, he yeah. would do stuff like that. I think he was introduced in the second miniseries, The Weather Dominator, mm-hmm. uh, when um, uh, he was like filming a commercial in the in the in the like you know in the Arctic or something. But uh, one of his more one of my more favorite episodes of his, and he's not the ultimate star. It's really Storm Shadow, but uh, the Excalibur episode mm. where. Storm Shadow finds Excalibur and they have an epic battle um, on top of a castle and spirits involved. Uh, actually spirit was with quick kick. Like when they worked off of each other, that's when quick kick kind of shined in my opinion. Um, as much as I love quick kick, I didn't really always like the, the jokey aspect of quick kick. So uh, I preferred spirit over quick kick. So I feel like I would have, Actually, to be honest with you, preferred a little bit more spirit than Quick Kick, but I know they wanted to go more for more of the comedic, uh, you know, sense. It was interesting to see um, kind of some of the characters that they decided to use because Mainframe, for example, uh, you know, Mainframe came on more so in season two than he did in season one. In season one, I think it was like Breaker, I think, was the uh, was the computer guy. And he was throughout the whole thing. And then Mainframe came on uh, towards the tail end of the series with Dial Tone. He was another one, too. And I was like, wait, you got two satellite guys? We got (laughs) two tech guys? Why do you have to have two? And I wasn't a huge Dial Tone fan. Um, Oh, I love Dial Tone. He was one of my favorite Joe toys as a kid. Well, he's the one with the big backpack, right? Yeah, it's like red red and white. Is that Yeah. Yeah. No, he had like a beret and a mustache. He kind of looked like Dabney Coleman from oh. uh, from Cloak and Dagger. Then I'm thinking, Mainframe. I'm thinking of the other one then with the big backpack. No, I think that was Dial Tone. I think that was. He Dial did. Tone. Yeah, he had a big backpack. Yeah, they both. I think they both had big backpacks. But um, <laughs> my but backpack Mainframe brings all the force <laughs> to the eye. Mainframe had a cool storyline with uh, Zorana in the second season mm. because um, it's one episode called um, Computer Complications, uh, where they fell in love yeah. and it's a really cool story because the way it ends, it ends on a romantic tip, like, you know, star crossed lovers, so to speak. Oh. Uh, and then it comes back around in the second half, the second half of season two, uh, does not, you can already tell like the wheels are starting to fall <laughs> off a little bit. It, it doesn't hold up as well. And they start re- using the same core. You know, they would use like the new, the new wave of toys, right? Yeah. So it was interesting to me that they use mainframe. I'm assuming it's because he was one of the more popular ones for them. Um, I'm surprised they didn't use like a beachhead, uh, for example, uh, because I know beachhead, you know, was. Was, was he even in this? He I is. Was he's, he okay? he's in it. He's like in one of the the group shots. Yeah. The fact that Gung Ho is used very, like he has one line. It's just that's interesting to me. Yeah, of I, course, I wouldn't be I surprised if this is not like a collection of Dan Shoning's favorite characters as there are toys that he played with as a kid, you know. I yeah, I think so. I think so. I, I was just kind of pointing out too, you were talking about kind of the banter between um cobra characters and i agree with you diallo i think that well cobra was always much more colorful right and um and and i love that duke is the focus as he should be in my opinion but uh they reference the gods below because when hawk's like what are we doing out here you know uh and that was classified or whatever the gods below and Corey, you'd said like how 
a lot of um, you like the more war aspect episodes, but there were these fantasy episodes. Excalibur is one of them for sure. That's a really wild episode. But the gods below is fucking crazy because they go into down under this pyramid where Cobra once again wants Cobra Commander wants all the gold and they meet like Osiris and um, uh, uh, the. Uh, yeah, the Osiris, the Egyptian god of the dead, you yeah. know, and I think there's, and I set, I think is another one there too, and like at one point, um, I I think uh, one of the Joe characters gets set on fire, and uh, and then uh, Bazooka and Rip, uh, um, uh, Ripcord, Bazooka, what's it, what's uh, Bazooka's sidekick? They're always together. He's yeah, he was a Ripcord. Big part of is it right? Yeah. Ripcord, yeah, yeah, right. Is it Ripcord? Yeah, Bazooka. So. Yeah, Bazooka and Ripcord, and yeah. Or, um, he's the one with the big helmet, right? Mm-hmm. And the mustache. Yeah. Yeah, it's is it ripcord? I say just say yes and move on. <laughs> okay, sorry. Anyways, yeah, you know, like they they get like thrown off and uh they start drifting from the universe into Earth's <laughs> atmosphere, basically. Um shit like that. It's so great. I, I love that. I just I, I love that they went with a fantastic storyline because they did fantastic storylines. Yeah. I mean, I think you're right. Um, I mean, even in what the Mass Effect, they have, you know, what Rob- Roblox fighting those vines that are attacking and everything. Well, that's uh, the that's amazing. Yeah. And I think I said Mass Effect, by the way, not not the Mass Device. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Freudian slip. But uh, yeah, it, it felt this does feel like it, it fits right there with it. I liked that reference, because at one point when everyone gets teleported there by the genie, Hawk's like, yeah, I, I was just briefing the president. Why am I here now? And why is this happening? You know, and uh, and I liked Duke's, you know, explanation of it. And he's like, oh, shit, we don't need like more supernatural shit going on. But I also <laughs> like I enjoyed the fact that Cobra's plan when he when he sent the bats to D.C., uh, France, Paris, France, and Tokyo, he sent the giant bats to attack. Um, I like the fact that he's like, it's not for the money. It's for the fear and the respect. And then you yeah. also find out that it was a, a sort of a, a front for them to also steal the gold from those uh, cities. And I was like, and he, you know, he calls a retreat and everything. And I was like, this this was the this is the Cobra Commander that I want to see. I don't want to see him always be a bumbling idiot. I <laughs> like that he had a plan here, and I like that it actually worked out for him. And I like that he finally said it's not about the fucking money; it's about the power, you know, and the fear. And I was like, that's cool. I like that. Uh, yeah, I agree. Yeah, Diallo, what do you what do you think about how they portrayed Cobra Commander and just his his plan in general and how it was executed? You know, it's funny because uh, I I felt like that that level of competence was so beyond anything he ever portrayed ever in the show. <laughs> um, I like I like the I liked it. I liked the idea of it, but it actually was the only moment really in the entire book here that he was like he seemed like he actually <laughs> knew what he was doing. Um, but the yeah, get the idea of it makes it make sense in terms of like the world building, I guess. That because I, I actually kind of asked, I wondered that too. Like, why would he like there is a general question that has always been around, and they probably have answered it in some way, shape, or form in some other form of media. But like, what's Cobra's deal? Like, yeah, 
Um, and they, I think they do answer it a little bit in the Co- uh, G.I. Joe movie. Maybe I kind of reject that movie on certain premises, so I don't necessarily count their all their reasons why uh, Cobra exists. But just like as a terrorist organization, like what, like what's your end? What's your goal? Like, are you trying to get resources? They never really like kind of went into that, and just having Cobra Commander just basically say we're just a bunch of assholes. I like. I was like, okay, like I dig that. Like I, 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 I dig. Like I, just, I understand what motivates you. You know, it's kind of like <laughs> Star Wars, like the with the Empire. They're just like they're just evil, you know. Yeah. And uh, so yeah, I liked I, I liked that um, the idea, even though I didn't quite feel like that moment was um, was uh, along his character. Yeah. Yeah, and I see what you're saying. It almost, it's almost like Eric Burnham sort of trying to retcon a little bit of, of past G.I. Joes because you can totally see the creative team being like, look, let's make Cobra Commander a little bit less of a buffoon because mm-hmm. as kids we didn't like that he was a buffoon. I, I get the, the thought process behind it, but yeah, it almost made Cobra Commander a little bit smarter than he normally is. <laughs> and again, cause yeah, it kind of came out of nowhere too. Like I was like, oh, that's solid. That was a solid plan. It's a, a good plan. Who came up with this plan? But then it, it you know, the problem with it is it doesn't it doesn't jibe with him making these wishes. That, that he can't, you know what I mean? That's what that's where that's where it didn't fit for me. Like yeah, it, it just like he's on one hand he's like actually the point is he's a buffoon, but here he actually has like the most brilliant. <laughs> I was like, oh yeah, all right. <laughs> It's kind of a buffoon with that first wish, making those bats super tall. Yeah. Like, okay, I get it. I mean, it sounded like a point. little kid, you know? Yeah. And, that and that I, felt make like me it. some Mego toys. Come and on. I like that, like, sci-fi on the Joe team, once they destroyed that one, he like he started, like, basically doing an autopsy on it. And I yeah. like how he came up with, like, oh, they didn't build them like this. They, they in, you know, basically blew them up in size. And, you know, of course, like, Duke's like, well, that's ridiculous. And, you know, and he's like, well... They've done ridiculous things in the past. <laughs> right? It just it, 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 it weirdly fits. And if you, I think if you watch the show, I, I just accepted all of these. I think probably the hardest thing for me to accept was that Cobra Commander had a, had a well-thought-out plan. <laughs> yeah, and this coming from Sci-Fi, who's like, uh, you know, th- th- another one where I was like, oh, I, I don't mind Sci-Fi at all. Even though, if by the way, if you paint Sci-Fi all black, and he comes with a variant head with the the figures that came out maybe 15, 20 years ago. It's the Wraith figure. Oh, okay. It's, oh, the did they give him a different helmet than the one he sort of originally had? Well, they give him they give him two helmets. Okay. Give him, okay. You can switch out the heads, and um, and so you put the one with the full helmet on, and it's the Wraith. And I'm like, oh shit! If you paint this all paint this all black, it's the Wraith, even with like the leg, because <laughs> he's got like the leg braces and everything. It's amazing. I, I um, real quick, I used to use my sci-fi as a substitute for uh, RoboCop. They, oh, perfect, perfect. Oh, it totally yeah. looks like Robocop. By the way, it's Alpine. I was Alpine. Just, I was gonna uh, ripcord. I was gonna say that a little bit. I was waiting for you guys to go. Yeah, Bazooka was like Alpine, Alpine. Where are we going, Alpine? <laughs> so, um, yeah, no, I, I agree with you. Like Cobra Commander, almost is uh, is they're they're writing some wrongs with Cobra Commander. <laughs> I feel like they wanted to do then the the first half of the GI Joe the movie. 
you know, uh, making him a little bit more dominant, uh, looking somewhat dominant in that uh, in the opening, the beautiful opening scene of G.I. Joe, the movie. Um, But I also want to point out, too, that this story is like it's they cover so much ground with so many characters and they do such a great job doing it. It never feels like it's ham-fisted, like they're just shoving a bunch of characters down your throat. All the storylines make sense. They don't deviate the characters from the way they were portrayed in the cartoon overall, except for Cobra Commander at, at times, right? Uh, they, and I love that. The relationships are the same. Alpine and Bazooka, Duke and Scarlet, uh, Lady J and Flint. Yeah. You know, and I love that they keep those intact um and yeah i just think that's masterfully done zach let me ask you something where in the timeline if you were to guess like where does this take place i'm thinking pre the movie um because pre-season yeah yeah, because mainly for me it was because of cobra temple versus the the terror drum you know what i mean we don't really see the terror drum here we see the cobra temple and that always reminds me of like the mass the mass device and whatnot yeah, this to me feels like before season two, yes, before yeah. Arise, Serpentor Arise, yeah. because yeah. Serpentor is not around. Because and, so Arise, Serpentor Arise was season two's premiere, was it not? Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. And and the Dreadnoughts, the Dreadnoughts had, you know, that core, the core Dreadnoughts of, um, well, they do, I do notice that, you know, Zorana and uh, Zart, um, the I, other brother. Yeah, th- uh, I saw Thrasher in there, the guy who drives the car. Uh, yeah. the Dreadnought car, he, he's in there. Um, well, let me ask you this, uh, guys, both of you, uh, I'll throw it to Diallo first. Um, so Dan Shoning on the Ghostbusters run is famous in the comic book uh, industry for just packing in so many Easter eggs into each issue. A lot of times in that comic book, you would see the Ghostbusters like, like, busting you know ghosts that were actually toys you know they never made it onto the cartoon but they were toys and there's so many references uh did you pick out anything diallo in here did you notice any uh cameos from any characters in the background or anything that sort of jumped out at you absolutely not (laughs) zach did you (laughs) notice any cameos no no actually and and there were times when i was trying to look for that um because all right, Zach, can I ask you specifically, did you notice the Visionaries cameo? I did notice. Yeah, you know what? I did notice that. Okay. Yeah, when where's Duke this, is this in happen? the arena. In, in the arena, oh, okay. the two gladiators that he fights before that creature, yeah. those are clearly visionary characters from the that comic book slash toy line slash cartoon. Wow. Yeah, yeah, actually, they both are. They're yep. totally visionaries. Yep. And, um... Which is great. I, I I know the first the first one tends looks like Leoric, the one in blue. I don't know who the other one is uh, offhand. Uh. And then this and then in the final battle, there's a good page that has a couple people, uh, random stuff like like this Cobra character. I don't actually know who she is. That's right yeah. the there. And then there's some more cameo stuff in that other panel there. He so he doesn't. Um, uh, Dan Shoney didn't seem to put as much into this as as he does in Ghostbusters. I don't know if there was some sort of time constraint or not. Um, I feel like if I had any kind of critique of this, the final battle, I think, sounded fantastic on paper, whereas every single G.I. Joe was going to fight every single Cobra. I don't know if they had the time or the ability to pull it off because 
it doesn't feel as populated as as I thought it maybe could have been. I didn't have a problem with it. It was I wasn't uh, just maybe it's just because I under like understanding that you drawing panel after panel of a big battle isn't like kind of feasible or doable. Yeah. Um, so I just I felt like it communicated a a big showdown brawl is that is that matt tracker is that on that one cameo where <laughs> you showed um well there was, the, there, there's it looks like there's a there's also a female native american uh character there maybe a joe that i don't know who that is either oh yeah huh yeah i don't know i do and guys and gals i totally apologize this the, this doesn't have any page numbers um but it's in the the fourth uh, I'm sorry, the fifth tray, uh, the fifth issue, it's the battle at the end. There's like this one page on the right-hand side that has four panels, but two of the panels have a lot of characters in that that I don't know. I think that gir- the the female Joe, uh, the one who has like the, the pigtails, I think that could be Mara. Okay. Uh, the, you know, from the, what is it? Spell of the Siren, or not Spell of the Siren. Um, uh, it might be Spell of the Siren. Uh, that's when like all the women are um, kind of in charge. Uh, and then Memories of Mara, I think that's the one where, again, Shipwreck falls in love with the mermaid. Mm. And I think she ends up kind of like they they turn her into a Joe. I feel like that could be. I could be totally off, and I probably am. But that's where I'm pulling straws, where I think it's like th- these have been featured in the cartoon. Yeah. All of these characters. I think all of these characters have been featured in the cartoon series proper versus like variant figures that came out when Hasbro released the 25th anniversary figures. Yeah. Um, yeah. You're, okay. I because I don't saying. think they went that deep, which I, I, res- I appreciate and respect. I think they kept it. And so, and also too, when you ask like timeline wise, you know, it's tricky because a lot of the characters that were, that premiered in season two, like Leatherneck and, um, uh, uh, iceberg and um, wetsuit like those guys were uh, like season two proper characters as well but th- that's still before Sergeant Slaughter was introduced and that's still before um, Serpentor was created so you know and, and also uh, Dr. Mindbender's not in this either so yeah I think this is trying to keep it within that time frame which I appreciate I still think you know I, I again I love all things G.I. Joe, but um I, I appreciate that they didn't put Lifeline in this because <laughs> Lifeline is one of the few characters I really have a problem with and cannot stand. Why would a pacifist be in G.I. Joe? It makes no freaking sense. It's personal. Yeah. It's personal. Glad it is personal <laughs> with me. You know why, Diallo? They gave that guy like three or four dominant episodes towards the tail end of the series. And I'm like, these, why are you giving Lifeline? I know. I actually remember I was over, I watched one with you. You, you and, did. You and Bodie. And you, you were ranting about <laughs> being I a mean, pacifist. I didn't know that you actually had legit issue until now. Because in my brain, I was like, well, yeah, that's like that makes it interesting to write stories for because there's such a dilemma. So that's why you make them that way. But logically speaking, of course, he wouldn't be. A... <laughs> I just like don't give him so many storylines, so many great stories. Like you wasted like three or four episodes on this guy, in my opinion. Like, that's that's my little rant. <laughs> um, so 
like sort of the final note that I have here, uh, just a little random stuff here and there. Um, I, I liked, I did notice that uh, Shipwreck's bird makes uh, quotes Han Solo. So it says, "Never tell me the odds." Yeah. When he's when he's running toward, was it Deep Six? Uh, that that shark ship that he's using that goes underwater is that Deep yeah, Six? Deep Six. Yeah. Yep. Uh, cl- yeah. He talks like this. Yeah. Deep Six talks like this. C- clearly, Dan Shoning loved that toy as a kid too because it's oh, doing. The shark was awesome. Yeah. I, I had it too. I I loved it as well. And and they did some some interesting stuff with it. And, uh, and then my final note is like I said uh, at the end of it like he's the only one shipwreck is the only one that remembers the the whole ordeal and I think I think that makes it fun it makes it so it can just sort of fit anywhere in season one it could fit in between you know episodes 13 and 14 or something it doesn't matter and and I dig that hey everybody Corey here I just want to let you know that we'll be right back after these short messages Imagine being one of the last people on Earth, being trapped alone with something not human. Something always watching. Something always waiting. What would you do? Where would you run? Where would you hide if you were haunted for seven winters alone? Podcasting After Dark presents Seven Winters Alone. A dystopian haunted house story by David Irons. Available now in paperback and ebook. On the winter solstice, when the lasting darkness threatens to descend upon the land of Atalan once united, Magi in training, Wilt Garen, and his shepherd, warrior in training, Bredain Adair, must find an ancient lost weapon before the ultimate ancient evil returns to the world of Aeos. Hi there, I'm ADL Jackson, writer of the First Noel's Chronicle podcast. The First Noel is an epic, family-friendly adventure told in serialized form. Think of it as Lord of the Rings meets, well, Christmas. Join us each week for the next thrilling chapter of the First Noel, now available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Audible, and all major podcasting apps, as well as Kindle Vela if you want to take a read. Thanks, and see you in Adelan. The winter tell is almost here. And now, back to the show. Before we jump into the PSAs, because guys and gals, don't think that they didn't include some PSAs in here. And I, I want to leave some time to discuss them sort of as a whole. But as far as the story itself goes, is there any other notes or anything that you guys want to touch on that we, we haven't yet? Uh, Diallo. The only thing that I felt was wholly inauthentic was Snake Eyes and Storm Shadow going head to head in that final battle now i know we all from the comic and through a lot of the lore snake eyes and storm shadow or go head to head their histories are intertwined but my recollection is on the cartoon that it was actually often spirit versus storm shadow i knew yep that was my recollection as well yeah and i and i only really remember that because i was always like snake eyes and storm shadow should be fighting whenever i was watching the cartoon 
but for whatever reason it was spirit and storm shadow and as much as as like i like just behind me i have snake eyes and storm shadow migos staring at each other on my uh podium with all my other action figures but i actually would have appreciated um for like authenticity's sake that it was storm shadow and um and a spirit that were going um head to head across that little jump shot where they were jumping into battle it um, almost makes you you think that like yeah like like what you remember gets clouded by what you think should have been there and yeah you're right i i was i even remembered it too when i was reading it and i was like oh spirit should really be spending more time fighting storm shadow in the comic books because same as you um, I, you know, I, as, as a kid, I liked Spirit a lot. I thought he was a really cool character, and I mm-hmm. liked that he fought Storm Shadow because I felt like that made him even more badass. Mm-hmm. But just like you said, also, I think all three of us read the comics as well. We knew the backstory, and I think we always expected Storm Shadow to fight Snake Eyes. Now, we got that awesome, awesome showdown in what was that uh, cartoon called, uh, Zach? Not. Not Sigma Sigma Six. It was the other one, um, the other GI Joe one. Res- Resolute. Oh, Renegades. No Renegades? Resolute. Oh, Resolute. Yes. Yeah, that has a great uh, battle between Snake Eyes and and Storm Shadow that I think just really paid off. Um, yeah. Zach, thoughts on the the Spirit versus uh, Storm Shadow uh, conundrum in this? Well, yeah, I think it was the Weather Dominator episode. Uh, miniseries where Storm Shadow and Spirit had their epic showdown on that volcanic mountain mm-hmm. and where they got where they basically had a truce. It was a really, really cool moment in the series. Um, and I agree with you, Diallo. I, feel, I actually feel like Snake Eyes didn't really get I love Snake Eyes on many levels and um, I don't feel like he got really the, the attention he deserved. I feel like they could have got, you know, given him a little bit a different storyline, you know, maybe put him with Scarlet. They always had a great thing, great connection there, you know, have him with Scarlet and gung ho on that, on that, um, ATV or whatever they're on. Um, yeah. And I, and I, I think it's only fitting that shipwreck wraps up this comic book because I love him. I know Diallo does too. And I know not everybody does case in point <laughs> of you. And I think that's kind of cool. I think it's kind of funny that you wrap up with, he was always kind of everywhere in every series. It wasn't until the second. Well, you really think about it too. The first season was like, I don't know, 60, 60 some something episodes. episodes. Yeah. When you, right? yeah. So Cause it, when you said season two was Serpentor, I was like, wait, what? Because yeah. I was thinking that was like it would have been season three or four or something like but, that. And but. it only lasted those two seasons, yeah. which is crazy. You know, yeah. um, they they did the G.I. Joe. That's when G.I. Joe season three was when they t- totally changed over and they introduced characters like Corey's favorite, the uh, the Alley Viper. Right. <laughs> um, but uh, season one, you know, Shipwreck was all over the place and so many episodes. And he actually had a great. It's I think when his character gets introduced and maybe the weather dominator. No, it was I uh, just watched him. It was the mass device. He was at a cobra like village, cantina, right? like cantina. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then and, and you and I like that because you I like seeing what the cobra grunts are doing when they're not like you know doing their cobra thing. You know what I mean? I always yeah. I thought that was really cool. And yeah, shipwreck was there as sort of like a mercenary. So he was. I guess was he never a proper Joe? Like was he never someone no. who went up through like you know 
the the Navy and like went through proper channels to become a GI Joe. Well, I mean, he's always been Navy, right? But no, he didn't. He didn't get brought into Joe's until Snake Eyes brought him in. So you know, Snake Eyes was the one. You're right. They they but they had a cool. The way he was introduced in that series was cool because he was more like kind of down and dirty for a while. Oh, oh no, he was he was like Han Solo when they introduced him. Like his totally. feet were up on the table. You know, he's like these guys are trouble. Yeah, you know, if you want something, you come to me type of thing. Um, and you know, and yes, as a kid, I didn't really care for for him, but as an adult. I get the appeal for, from a writer's standpoint. He was just oozing with personality, <laughs> and I'm sure he was fun as fuck to write. And I'm sure the reason, uh, you know, Snake Eyes really isn't in this much, you know, this comic book much, is because as a writer, and I'm sure Diallo can talk, you know, attest to this maybe, uh, well, what are you supposed to do with him here? You know what I mean? Like, like Diallo, what could you do with, with as a writer in comic book form versus, you know, cartoon form. Like, could you, I mean, can you really do much more with Snake Eyes here to beef them up? In the the way that it is, no. I was thinking the only way you could give him any more um, screen time is you'd have to make his own side little journey. Like, he had the mass device, right? He had, he had his whole thing going on. And um, a lot of that is because it's you have to dedicate telling the story without any words. And so you would actually need more space, I think, to do that. And this book didn't have that. So as much as I love Snake Eyes, I wasn't mad that he because you kind of understand that he, um, you know, he can't speak. But they used him to great effect <laughs> in another piece of the, of the book. And <laughs> I really can't wait. To talk about that they, one. <laughs> they did, I, I just want to. I just want to add one more quick thing too about Snake Eyes, and 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 I, I want to correct myself. I think uh, it was Flint and Mutt that brought um, uh, Shipwreck to the Joes, and I think it was the Weather Dominator when Snake Eyes and Shipwreck went off because that there was like a the one episode where uh, Shipwreck and Snake Eyes are at the club and Snake Eyes is break dancing. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, but anyways, please get to those PSAs. Yeah, so <laughs> every every issue, uh, every you know uh, uh, episode, I should say, has a PSA, and uh, so there there are four of them here. Oh, I guess it was a four issue, uh, uh, not five issues, but okay. Um, so we have one. I'll just I'll kind of give you the the premise for for all four of them, and we can kind of talk about them individually. One is uh, mainframe and the online troll. The other one is Snake Eyes and the Comic Thief. There's one that's uh, Law and Order, and I, I just called this one, and the Little Serial Killer. And there's the last <laughs> one is a very sad one with Lady J and Flint. Um, so all of these, I felt like it was tongue-in-cheek, right? Like it was kind of tongue-in-cheek. It was kind of like... Well, kind of, totally. The, so the, the first one was funny because it was like mainframe kind of like putting a, an online troll into his place, which is great. It was awesome. The second one, which Diallo will elaborate, Snake Eyes. So Snake Eyes basically stops a comic book thief, but he doesn't say anything. And the kid just basically talks himself into a, into returning the comic book just from, just from oh, a guy man. standing in front of him. Diallo, how, the genius of that one. It was... It was so good. <laughs> it was so good. It was so good. Because Snake Eyes doesn't say anything. I was actually reading all of this on an airplane. <laughs> and 
I had to like stop myself from just like laughing out loud at that one page. It was just so deliciously brilliant, sharp, clever. It said so much on so many different levels. (laughs) (laughs) The kid talking himself out of it was just, I mean, it's so good. It's so. And I like how the kid was like, oh, Snake Eyes, you're my favorite G.I. Joe, <laughs> you know? Oh, man. But it's like, it's like I'm, I can't stop laughing. But, like, it's not, like, over-the-top, like, laughter or humor. It's just, yeah. like, when you read between all the lines, there's so much going on with it. It was just, like, it's so, it's so good. And, and I got to say, like, in the first one, I, I, what, I, what I picked up on, was the one with the mainframe and the online troll? Yeah, uh, they they drew that car, that that computer to look like a computer from the eighties, and yeah. it had so yeah, many so cool. extra you know things to it. It looked amazing, but at the same time, it completely looked like an eighties cartoon uh, computer to me. Zach, which one was your favorite of the four? I mean, it's hard. It's hard. I I, I must say the like you said, the serial killer who likes shooting a slingshot at animals. <laughs> um, there's there's just the the final line where, you know, order or law is telling him to basically knock it off. And the kid's like, you know, I never thought of that. I never thought of it that way. Law, now I know. And, and law and order is like, and law goes, but seriously, I see you pelt anything else with that slingshot. Our next conversation is going to be different. Because yeah, they never did. They never added anything before. But you could tell that this one was like one of the creative teams was like, no, we're going to make a hard stance on that. And that was great. And then at the last one, Lady J is all dressed up, looking beautiful. And I like how she's talking about the story that came before it. She was like, hey, the story kind of got wrapped up because of a, some sort of good fortune, good luck. But, you know, you can't always count on luck. You need to have a backup plan. And she's looking beautiful, and she's like, like now. And then Flint like sticks his head out, and he's like, "Oh, babe, sorry, I didn't make the appointment or the uh, reservation to the restaurant. How about some MREs, you know?" And she just like looks at the, she like looks at the screen and just is like crestfallen. <laughs> well, and th- that was a little, uh, that was a little He-Man uh, kind of PSA because He-Man always did the ones like in today's episode we yeah. learned this. And th- I, I like that, that they kind of did that type of thing. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, she's like, no, that, you know, talk about being in a shitty relationship. <laughs> I mean, then, right? She goes, lucky me. <laughs> lucky me. And it's, like, all small and everything, and you can just tell. I was like, this is this is great. So much personality in those PSAs. Oh, it's fantastic. It's funny I mean, because it, it breaks, it sort of, like, breaks the tone of, of the rest of the book. Right. But it's so safe to do that because obviously it's not telling the story. It's just like the last page with the PSA. So, yeah, um, it was really it was a great opportunity to, like, give a little bit of that snarky without but still felt like it was (laughs) like it felt like it still if you weren't paying attention, it could still fit into like a PSA. Yeah. Like on a surface it looks like that when you really kind of look at it and think about it. You're like, this person's being an asshole. And they, they almost become more and more sort of sort of out of the, the the norm. I almost felt like the first one with the online troll is something that they would have created had they had the internet at the time. Mm-hmm. And then it just gets more and more ridiculous to the point where it's just a commentary on Lady Jane Flint's relationship. <laughs> <Yeah>. Pretty much. <laughs> I, I do want to point out, too, uh, I used to 
like pick my top five to go into battle with, who would be my top five Joes I'd take with me on a mission, right? When I was a kid. And the, the final uh, image of the comic book proper mm. is Snake Eyes, Shipwreck, Quick Kick, mm. and Spirit. Those are definitely in my top four. At least they were back in the day. I, love, I mean, that's that's iconic right there. Yeah, I, I bet I'm sure uh, if we asked Dan Shoning and Eric Burnham, you know, who they their favorites were, we'd probably see them on the cover, right? You know, right here. But uh, <laughs> why well, really quick, you know, it, it, like, I think you mentioned it as well. But in interspersed between the comics are those great uh, kind of one off images, artist renditions of uh, of the shows. Uh, not all of them, I think, are like totally up to par, but but it's cool to see variations on the different artists kind of giving their take on, uh, you know, G.I. Joe characters. Yeah, I think I bet those were probably alternate covers. Um, um, I'm sure uh, Dan Shoning did the proper cover and then they might have had like alternate covers. And yeah, I'm with you. I, I didn't love all of them, but even the ones I don't love, I always appreciate uh, seeing someone else's take um, on it and everything. But But at the end of the day... You know, you know Dan Shoning's ability to mimic the cell shaded, you know, animation style. That's what I'm here for. I'm I'm not really here for the other artist styles because I grew up reading GI Joe comic books with other artist styles and everything. But I like we all three of us said at the beginning, we never had this though. We never had something that accurately you know, basically continued the the TV show, the, the cartoon itself and everything. And I, I hope that IDW comes back around to this. I don't know if they'll keep, like, doing other series. I'm sure it's all depending on how well these, we, these sell or whatever. But I do hope that they swing back around to this. I'm curious to see if they do a, a full-on real Ghostbusters one because they sort of dabbled in that with the um the ghostbusters get real and and if i could plug that guys and gals if you just want to pick up an awesome trade of the ghostbusters comic book um just look up ghostbusters get real i'm thinking at this point it's probably about five to eight years old but you can get that trade and right there you can see where you can see where this started this saturday morning cartoons i guarantee you started with with uh dan shoning um, pulling off that amazing feat of making the real Ghostbusters come to life in the comic book and look exactly like the uh, the artwork. So just um, some final thoughts uh, around the the board. Any and, and throw out anything that that you, we missed, anything that we didn't talk about, any bullet points that you guys have left over, and then throw your final thoughts out. Diallo, you first, buddy. Well, I you know I mentioned it a little bit earlier, but uh, I was like, oh, they didn't have Beachhead. He was actually like a pretty big part of the show. I guess towards the end of season one. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I don't remember when he was introduced. He used to like kind of lead. He was like the fourth leader or whatever when Flint and. uh, Yeah. He was fourth in command. Yeah. So he, he, he was in quite a few episodes. So I, I I just like, Oh yeah, he was barely in this season two mostly. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And uh, that was just an observation. Um, But no, I, I mean, I really, uh, you know, I I came in I came into this not knowing anything and was like um, from the first page I was like oh this is literally like the cartoon not like I wasn't reading a comic book 
that was a G.I. Joe story. I was like, I from the opening page, I was like, oh, this is actually an episode. And like I said, I thought that they were cells at first. <laughs> <laughs> but um, so it was it was a real joy to actually read this because it, it, it actually feels like the first thing since G.I. Joe ended that was made in the spirit of G.I. Joe. Um, you know, more they, so than the move than the yeah, live action movies yeah. and everything. Like the movies, one thing of it, I one of the biggest things I don't like about the movie, um, the I don't know which one, the first or second, but anyways, um, they missed the entire to me what was the entire point of GI Joe. It's not that it was the army; it was sort of like the army meets superheroes. Yeah. It was sort of and like they that movie just doesn't didn't get that because they all appeared in their uniform for their specialty, even if it didn't make sense that Frostbite should be wearing his entire snow gear in the base. But they each of them, you know, signified, embodied some expertise and they dressed like it like it was a, the Justice League. Um, and the movies yeah. just didn't get that. The movies just were like, oh, let's put the rock in here and give him a gun. And he didn't even rhyme like like, uh, <laughs> like Roadblock. Yeah. Which we got some rhyme and Roadblock in this. Yeah, that was sure great. Did. That was great. And I mean, yeah, those little touches like that, like the rhyming Roadblock and the um, the what's the parrot's name? Um, Shipwreck's parrot. Polly. 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 Yeah, they even had like a little the timber uh, uh, snake eyes his wolf that yep. he came like he came with the wolf. I think he was in the mass device episode. Yeah, miniseries, and then yeah, it was uh, my man Ace. Ace was one of my favorites. Like when I play video games, I put Ace as my name, and so it was good to actually see him get more screen time. <laughs> and so. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it was just like it was really fun. Uh, it was a really fun read. Like again, I didn't know what I was in for, and I, but as soon as I started reading it, I was like, "Oh man, I'm gonna read all of this." Because it's not—I don't actually read a lot of comic books anymore, and sometimes they feel a little too um, um, dense. And um, but at this, I, I actually was surprised. I read the entire thing in like my flight, which was like an hour and a half. You know. <laughs> So yeah, it's um, it's a real easy read. It's it, as far as comics go, it's it's a real easy read. I read it. Uh, I think I've actually read it three times now in two days because I was just like, well, I burned through it so quick. Let me just kind of try to commit it to memory, you know, type of thing. So, uh, Zach, what are your final thoughts and anything anything we missed, you know, overall? Yeah, I mean, obviously, there's characters I wish they had put in, uh, like Snow Job or Torpedo, but mm. but they're not in there. Those are uh, two of my I, favorites. I like, yeah, I like those guys a lot too. Um, you know, I I wish this wasn't a one-off. I wish they would continue it. I would actually love, you know, I I don't know if it'll ever happen. Uh and I kind of feel like they're missing the boat. They're missing the opportunity on doing it. But if they did a quick mini series like a world without end uh where they explore that world like a prequel, you know, and the Joes are not dead yet, and they're actually just all in hiding. Like, there's your miniseries right there. Why have they not done that fucking miniseries? That is, there's your what if. There's your multiverse, you know? Come on, that is like, the, the, the Buzz, whoever wrote that, whether it was Buzz Dixon or somebody else, you know, like, the, it's just there. It's right for the pl- 
ripe for the picking. Go for it. That's my final thought. No, I I think you actually just brought up a fantastic point. Uh, as much as I enjoyed this, I think that would have made for a better story. Like, what if they go back? Um, or we just follow whoever it was. Was it Dusty or whoever stayed over there? Um, oh, it was like uh, it, it was it was such a ragtag group. It was all the ones one they wanted to get rid Dustin of the toys. He looks clutch. Clutch was one of them. Grunt and um, Steeler. Yeah, Steeler. That's right. That's right. Where he's and, losing his mind. All, and the, all the first gen uh, toy figures that yep. they wanted to get rid of. Yeah, but yeah, but that, what a great way to do it, and that's such a cool Brilliant. story. Um, because remember, those were the characters that were dead over there, and you even saw them like as skeletons yeah. and whatnot. I was like, that was cool. But I think you're right, Zach. I didn't even think about that. That would have been great for this. I don't know if it would have been good as sort of a first entry. No, but if they do another one, I think that would be a perfect one to pick up. And then you can, they could have a field day and do whatever the hell they want to, you know, with that. I think that would be awesome. Uh, my final thoughts on this, it's great. Same as you two. I was just like, I'm reading this and I'm like, I can't believe this exists, you know? Just so happy that this exists. And I, I think anyone who's a G.I. Joe fan should have no problem picking this up. Uh, pick up the trade. I think you'll burn through it. It's all ages. I mean, you can you can show it to your kids. Anyone can read it. Um, just, you know, have a basic understanding of G.I. Joe, and I think you'll have a, have a good time with it. You'll get more mileage out of it, though, depending on how much, you know, mileage you've already put into the G.I. Joe franchise. But I think the creative team hit it out of the park with this one i never doubted in a million years that they would wouldn't you know i, th I think it was always going to be written in the, the stars um because i love this team I've, I've been reading ghostbusters uh since the idw series started um and it's one of my favorite comic books of all time um and i'm just glad that, that this is out i'm looking forward i'll probably pick up the tmnt one we won't discuss it on this show tmnt was never my I was never into the cartoon as a kid, but this concept, this idea is so, you know, thrilling to me that I'll just pick up whichever ones they, they want to keep putting out because it just freaking just fills me with nostalgia. And I think uh, that's a that's a big thing right now. One hell of a drug, as I like to say. One hell of a drug. Do, Yo, a, do a Transformer one, by the way. That would be a. I, that would be awesome. I wouldn't be surprised if they are. Um, I believe IDW owns the license to that. Um, so who, who knows what the creative team on that one, because I don't think it's going to be the same creative team every time. I'm not 100% mm. sure. I, I could be wrong about that. Um, but we'll see, and I do hope that they keep moving forward. Uh, guys and gals, I don't really keep up with comic book news, so something could have been announced for all I know. Um, but I, I'm not quite sure, so we'll, we'll keep an eye out for it. But uh, this was a blast. I'm glad that we had a chance to, to dive into this. Uh, the story itself is is not very meaty, so it didn't really lend itself to have a you know a two hour discussion or anything. It's a pretty simple story, and uh, and if you listen to our our GI Joe the movie episode, you'll probably get out the full picture on the TV Obscura's love for GI Joe. But uh, what about TV Obscura's love for everything that Diallo has going on? Well, that's just huge, ladies and gentlemen. What up, buddy boy? What you got going on? I was like, me? Uh, <laughs> what do I got going on? Oh, yeah, uh, working diligently on the my the first Noel relaunch. Uh, website's looking fantabulous. Uh, and um, 
working on a motion comic of uh, Angel in the Dark. I believe you might have seen some uh, images from the from the motion comic. Um, those are Looks coming amazing, in. by the way. Diallo sure previewed does. it for us. Wow. Yep. So cool. And um, Zach can speak to this too. Um, I will be in about three weeks now. We'll be at LA Comic Con running a panel. Nice. So, yeah. And, Very uh, cool. I'm going to go to your panel, Diallo. And heckle? Are you going to heckle him? <laughs> It'll be super awkward if you do that. <laughs> 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 nice shirt <laughs> congratulations buddy that that's awesome i hope uh if, if there's a video or something uh post it and then i can uh reblog it or whatever yeah we i got um so uh two of the two of the people i got um one of them is someone you may have heard of before his name's larry houston he was oh. basically the artist on um x-men cartoons Oh, okay. okay. And he also awesome. worked, I found out the other day, he actually worked on the original comics for um, uh, He-Man, Masters of the Universe, the ones that came in the books. I got a little story. They, I got a little story on how they created certain um, characters based on his input and also just how they were coloring things. So it was a pretty, pretty cool story. Is, is that have anything to do with uh, uh, Green Snake Tila? Uh, no, no. Oh, green I, I love Green Snake Teela. That's, that's, that's one of for me. I don't really know the the backstory on why she was like that originally, mm-hmm. but it's one of my most like intriguing childhood things. As I as a kid, I was always like, "Why is she green right here? She looks really actually, cool." You know, that's actually a good question to ask when we um having the panel, like, or when I talk to him. Maybe I'll I'll see uh, what he uh, <laughs> what he said. Oh, they just like, I know. Cool. Like read I read comics, and sometimes you just knew they. Messed up on the coloring yeah. and yeah, yeah. is yeah. that the story about the about the Hulk? Actually, he was <laughs> he was originally was he originally supposed to be? I they wanted gray. him. They wanted him green, but like the ink was wrong, so he just turned out gray. Yeah, yeah. So, that, I mean, oh, that's right. They wanted him green originally, then he became gray, and then they yeah. when they got it right, they made him green. Something like that. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, maybe this <laughs> maybe that's all there was to that story. But we'll, <laughs> I'll find out for you guys. <laughs> uh, that's awesome congratulations buddy Thanks. uh zach what's uh what's going on with you are you going to be attending la comic-con yes two dollar late fee we'll have a panel at la comic-con uh the first weekend of december and we will be having a very special guest actually two guests uh to be totally specific one will be uh, his name is brendan hay um he is the like co-creator or he he's um like the producer of the upcoming gremlins mogwai series for hbo max gotcha uh which we which will be coming out next year and the reason why we're bringing him on is because our uh ultimate guest will be none other than joe dante nice and joe dante will be doing a little trip down memory lane with his filmography with us and um you know, I don't need to tell you guys who Joe Dante is. Like, he's a living legend. Yeah, go uh, listen to our Burbs uh, review. Yeah, I mean, like, let's, we don't need a laundry list of who he is. You know who he is. So, yeah, he, we're going to be there that first week of December. I'm going um, to your panel. <laughs> yeah, you better be. And, um, 
Oh my gosh. I mean, everything's going on right now in $2 late fee. We did a great retrospective on uh, Teen Wolf 2 and had some three amazing guests from that who told some wild (laughs) stories. Uh, Mark Holton is one of them. Mark Holton, you'll know as Francis from Pee Wee's Big Adventure and uh, Leprechaun. Uh, and John Wayne Gacy, the John Wayne Gacy movie. Uh, but the dude is crazy. It's a, it's, a, it's a great interview. So we've got so much stuff going on at $2 late fee. But come to L.A. Comic Con. If you're not, if you're not, unable to come to L.A. Comic Con, well, we'll have a surprise for you in January. But I can't talk about that just yet. Nice. Well, I think, um, um, obviously, I won't be there this year. But if you guys are doing panels at L.A. Comic Con, maybe that'll be the con that that we kind of because uh, I know next year um, I want to try to have a, a pad presence at, at a con, you know, but we have to be picky and choosy because it's expensive to do all that kind of stuff. So if you're if you're both if this is going to become the norm and L.A. Comic Con is sort of our our place to land, then I'll start looking in next year into getting a booth for uh, for podcast after dark and whatnot. So I think that'd be a lot of fun. And actually, we could you know podcast from there and do an episode from there and go to the the panels and support everybody. So I think that'd be a lot of fun. Oh yeah, it's gonna happen. Yeah, it's gonna happen. Oh, yeah, 2023. Sure. I, I like is that be... plan. I like that plan. Yeah. Good stuff. I, th- I think it'll be great. I think it'll be great. So this was a lot of fun. Uh, make sure you check out our podcast after dark Patreon page because Zach and I are having a blast talking about every single movie John Carpenter has written and directed, uh, his complete filmography. Um, and uh, this month we will be dropping Starman, which was. Um, Wow, a lot more fun than I ever thought it was going to be. So that check that one out. Yeah, and we're about to get into some of the, in my opinion, greatest John Carpenter movies of all the times. That's yeah, we're we're coming up onto a a chunk of awesomeness, starting with Big Trouble in Little China next month. So it's it's a lot of fun. Uh, that that show is great. It's it people are loving it. Uh, we've had a few signups and everything recently uh, for that tier on Patreon. So thank you all so much for for supporting that show. Thank you all so much for supporting uh, TV Obscura. This is probably our our runaway hit. You know, uh, non review show you know this is probably our biggest uh, secondary show and uh it's awesome i i love tv obscure and i have a absolute blast doing this with my two best pals uh too bad you guys are only uh you know a few hundred miles away not not too far one day we'll be there to see as zach's doing the math in his head he's like that's not right but okay <laughs> i'm listening to your portland rain i'm listening to your uh oregon rain coming down right yeah. now yeah, it is, it is raining. Oh, it's it's the raining season up here. But uh, thank you all so much for loving and supporting the show. We love you all. And as always, catch you on the obscure side, because knowing is half the battle. Lucky me. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, Joe! <laughs> Be sure to subscribe to Podcasting After Dark and give us a five-star rating on iTunes. Support Podcasting After Dark on Patreon. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Podcasting After Dark. And visit us next time for another installment of Podcasting After Dark with Corey Stevenson and Zach Schaefer. Schaefer.